Don't forget that John has a Christmas account also in John chapter 1. It's a theological version of Christmas, but it's there nonetheless. Make sure you read that at some point this holiday season. So you may have noticed that Christmas lights are up and around. You might have noticed uh, that the papers have run their Orchid Falala Awards in the Santa Maria Lights, Sights, and Holiday Nights. If not, hop in your car tonight, grab some hot chocolate somewhere. Obviously, Chick-fil-A is closed because it's Sunday, so you have to go somewhere else. But tour the city, and you will see all the dark houses where there's nothing happening. You'll see houses like mine where the minion is falling over, apparently got into a little bit of doctored eggnog and had a little bit too much. Or because every once in a while the inflatable gets blocked on our nativity. Yes, we have an inflatable nativity and I love it. So you can make fun of it, but don't let me hear you making fun of it. Mary and Joseph are so old at this point that they tend to bow down to Jesus a little bit, but I, I love that feature about it, even though we pop them in the head a little bit and bring them back to life from time to time. And if you ever visit my house and the minion's standing upright, feel free to high-five him, by the way. He's our wise man for the moment. Uh, if you know the minions, you'll get that a little bit. But if you've paid attention to those awards or, or gone around the city enough, you'll know there's some character, characteristic houses in our city. From all the way at the south end of town near Pine Grove, you have the advent calendar window. Hopefully you've driven by that multiple times, probably. You have the Winter Wonderland that's on the way to that one, both by Pine Grove. You have the radio light display that's over by Rigetti. And of course, on the way to the mall at the lawyer's office, you have the inflatable menagerie that has literally everything. If there's an inflatable, he has bought it and put it on his property. I love that whole building this time of Christmas, except, of course, you go by inflatables in the daytime, and it looks like they've all been slaughtered. There are plenty of houses, though, in Santa Maria Valley that love to deck the halls for Christmas. And if you were here, a buddy of mine from Biola and Talbot days, a pastor who's down in Santa Ana and wins awards down there, I think might give some people a run for his money. He is constantly, constantly looking for Christmas trees and bargains after the holidays end so he can gear up for the next year. And I think we have a picture of it, but this year the award ceremony, or the award committee just brought the sign ahead uh, at the beginning of the judging time. His name is Eric Wakeling. He's a pastor friend of mine. And he's one of those people that wins awards. They come and post, and they put his name in the paper. But the reason I mention his name actually isn't that he wins awards. It's that his service, Calvary Church of Santa Ana, not Calvary Chapel, but Calvary Church of Santa Ana, has for a couple of years had a service that I love the concept of. It's called the Longest Night Service. And it is a service that pauses and remember that Christmas is a difficult time for people. While many of us enjoy eggnog and hot chocolate and Coca-Cola with Santa on the can that pops up this time of year, many people see those Christmas lights that are out and it reminds them of what they have lost. Not everybody enjoys the festivities as much as others do, Christmas can be a reminder of broken relationships. And it can be a reminder of the pain of living in a world that has been affected by sin for thousands of years since sin derailed it at the fall. So Eric's church holds a unique Christmas service each year, and it's called the Longest Night Service. And it remembers that the first Christmas was not a season of carols and gifts and fun. Those are certainly wonderful things, and while today's ser ser sermon excuse me, will be a little more serious, we want you to enjoy the lights 
and the gifts and decorating a Christmas tree. But when it comes to the longest season, if you pay attention to the Christmas story that occurs in Matthew and Luke chapters 1 and 2, and we're about to drink from the fire hose that those chapters consist of, you'll notice it's a long season for some characters in the original Christmas story. So we're going to tear through them. Four chapters that span almost three years of time. And for the people involved, they turned out to be a very long season indeed. First, it was the longest season for an older couple that was finally blessed with a kid. Now that's a wonderful thing. But they're older. It's post the time, past the time, after the time to have children for them. So not only does it mean sleepless nights, getting ready for a baby and sleepless nights after John the Baptist showed up and he was a little bit of an oddball if you're familiar with him, at least later in life. It also meant being outcast on the playground as people that were out of age with those other parents that were there. It meant being parents when you're no longer supposed to be parents. And some of you know what that's like. It's not that you don't want your grandkids in your home. But it's a little different parenting than grandparenting. And this older couple knew that. Luke 1, 24 and 25. And after these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. In fact, for Elizabeth, it was the continuation of a long season. Her life had been a long season of barrenness. And then she hid herself. I like talking with our youth group about the scenes in the nativity that we could add around our house. And this is one I don't think I've even really highlighted before, but how about a hidden Elizabeth? She has the greatest news of all, and so she goes and hides because it's great news, but it's a long season that's ahead of her. And on top of that, her husband is mute for nine months. When I mention her and Mary together, keep him in mind. And just a little bit, we'll come back to her briefly, them briefly. It's also the longest season for a pair of teenagers, and notice how much they had in common with the older couple. It was a long season of sleepless nights for them. It was a long season of also being outcasts on the playground, but for a different reason. Their parents when they're not yet supposed to be. And then when the baby is finally born, it is the longest season of running from a tyrannical political family that was out to destroy them. They have the joy of a baby, Jesus, but they are on the run. Turn to Matthew chapter 1, picking up partway through verse 20. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear, meaning he was afraid. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus, 
Skipping into Matthew 2, verse 13 through 15. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Verse 19, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called Nazarene. They're on the run. And Joseph's having dreams that are telling him not to be afraid and telling him every reason to be afraid at the same time. It's also the longest season for him as a saddened and disappointed fiancé. Don't forget the first moments of his part of the Christmas story. Matthew 1, 18 through 20. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, it's easy to miss the time cues in Scripture, but there is a time when Joseph is afraid that Mary cheated on him. That's a long season to figure out what to do with an unfaithful fiancé. And you love her and you don't want to embarrass her, but you're convinced that she has mortified you. Speaking of which, it's the longest season for a trembling teenage girl just trying to figure out what God has told her. She knows how life works and he has a totally different plan for what is taking place. And on top of that, she is unsure what Joseph's response would be, at least for a while. He's heard the news. That means she doesn't know his response yet. If you pay attention to her story, Luke 1, 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Of course, again, meaning she was afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord of God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. 
and this is the sixth month with her, who, has called, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And when she says, let it be, she has no confidence that Joseph will remain standing with her. She had to sit for a long season until he responded and decided what he would do until he had a dream and was told by God, Mary is still exactly who you knew her to be. She has not been unfaithful. But that's a long moment for each of them. Teenagers trying to figure out what God is doing in regard to the love of their life. It's the longest season for two pregnant ladies who are joyously enduring a part of the curse from Genesis 3 as they endure morning sickness and back pain and cravings without a single 24-hour drive through or convenience store to satisfy them. And at one point, they hang out together. I'll let you read that on your own sometime later, but you can see their story picking up where I left off in Luke 1. And the picture of this long season, about three months, is two pregnant ladies, one old and a mute man, just living, but living out a crazy plan that God had to redeem the world through them. It's also the longest season for a nation thrown in turmoil by the political decisions that were disrupting their daily lives as they scrambled to cram awkward aunts and opinionated and outspoken uncles and countless cousins one upon the other into homes that are significantly smaller than your own. Think about your entire family having to show up to Santa Maria to register. Maybe this isn't where you're born, but just imagine cramming your entire family. And then one of them is the outcast of the family, shows up, pregnant, ready to pop. And the government has forced you together. And family, of course, almost always, no matter how much you love them, ends up staying just a touch too long. Now, those of you that are already family visiting in the room, of course, we're not talking about you. It's the other family that's still about to arrive later on. You came early because this is not you. But family all has a clock, and we know what that clock is when they should be leaving town or we should be leaving town, and this census has thrown that clock out the window. They're just stuck with each other, and of course, family doesn't always get along, and that doesn't change just because families stuck together when they visit. Luke 2, verse 1 through 7, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Wonderfully, by the way, before you think this is boring, it's meticulous on purpose. It is rooting this in a very particular place and time that archaeology can lock down. That is so wonderful. Sorry, that's a side. has nothing to do with the longest season, but everything to do with how amazing Scripture is. This is the first registration. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. 
And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, cloths and lied him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. You've got to remember, this is a small town, but everyone who calls this their place of origin now has to come in. And it's so small that there really is no inn. Inn is a bad translation. There are better words for it. Kind of, I should say it's an old translation, more than bad. But don't picture a motel, motel 6 with a no vacancy sign up. That's not what's happening here. They have had a rush of people come in. They are packed in every single closet you can imagine. This is home alone when Kevin gets sent to the attic, except there's a whole crew of people in the attic now. They are shoved in together because of this census. They're not happy about it. And when Mary and Joseph show up and she is about to be pregnant, or I mean she is pregnant, she's about to deliver, they have to find a place for her. They don't want them there. There's been a little bit of a pendulum swing explaining the inn that says there's no way in a hospitality culture that they would shove them out and just send them to a, a cave somewhere or a stable out somewhere. And that is probably true, but in swing, swinging that pendulum back, we've lost maybe the part of the story that makes it sound like they were actually wanted, and the answer is no, they still weren't wanted. And what happened is they were probably shoved in the equivalent of the garage because it, it's, it's a colder night possibly. The animals are in there too. Or just to protect the animals, the animals are there. We don't know the full picture. We know this. The family didn't want them around. There's no place for them. And so she delivers and puts the baby in a manger. Probably stone. It has straw in there. It might be wood. But it's a manger. It's not the normal delivery setup for really any time in history where the women would all gather together, the men would get kicked off to the side, and Mary would have been surrounded with people that loved her. This is a different picture, in or no in. But the size of Bethlehem means there's no in. They are just crammed into and shoehorned wherever they would fit, and by fit it means out of the way. The hospitality culture probably brought them in, but the shame of the family pushed them aside at the same time. That's the most likely picture, I believe. And it was a long night for them, a long season, and a joyous time. It's the longest season for a bunch of shepherds on a hillside. Okay, never mind, actually. For the shepherds, it's probably not a long season at all. Between the angel invasion, sweet baby Jesus, and getting to wake up all the neighborhood, they probably had a blast. This most likely was not a long season for them, but a joyous time, and probably the most fun they'd had since David was roaming the hills and had killed a giant. So the shepherds, maybe not the longest season, but the longest season for the wise men. They're on a long journey. I don't know about you, but the end of this Christmas travel season time, if you're traveling, you're ready to get home, and the last thing you want is traffic or an obstacle that makes you take the alternate route. And yet, because of being warmed in a dream, that's exactly what the wise men have to do. And surely that alternate route would be more difficult and more disconcerting and probably more dangerous at the same time. Luke 2, verse 20. I'm sorry. Matthew 2, verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country 
by another way. This isn't a part of the world where there are lots of other ways. Water determines the route you take. Safety determines the route you take. And the route you're on is the safe water route. And the alternate routes call one of those two in jeopardy. They're joyous, certainly. They celebrated a king. But the route home is a long season for them. And it is not a short road. It's also the longest season for a pair of older people, perhaps wondering why they're still around and why God was taking so much longer than they thought he should to fulfill what he had promised. I don't know if, you, if your family remembers that Anna and Simeon exist in the Christmas story, but they're two of the best characters and two of the forgotten ones. They're also a little odd, at least in their interactions with, your fam- with the family. And, and ladies in particular, imagine your hotel room or your um, gender reveal party or your pictures, whatever, having all these strangers invade like Mary had. That's another little bit of a long season. Why are you touching my baby right now? You need to move away. And yet, person after person comes in, starting with the shepherds. But you have Anna and Simeon that meet them at the temple. And they're two older people, wonderful older people, who love God and have been looking for the Messiah. And they've been waiting forever. And I know some of our wonderful elderly people here at Grace sometimes are just wishing that God would take them home and not have another Christmas here, but another Christmas with him and the family that's gone before. And it can be quite a long season. Anna and Simeon are in that stage, but they are looking forward to the Messiah, and we get to see the part in their story when they see him. Luke 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Skip a couple verses to 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84 She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. These two are not throwaways in the Christmas story. They're what the nation of Israel should have been, and they have been waiting forever a long time, hoping Trusting in God's promise that they would see the Messiah, but also, I am sure, at times thinking, Lord, how long? You promised and you will deliver, but how 
long. In addition, one of the saddest parts of the Christmas story, coming quite a bit of time after his birth, but part of the story nonetheless, it is the longest season for a grieving city that is mourning the loss of holding the hands of sons that they loved and knowing very particularly the pain of living under the oppressive thumb of a government that they hate. Matthew 2, verse 16 through 18. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. As crazy as it is and absurd as it is, and it's very understandable not to include this in your Christmas celebrations on Tuesday, but there are families that know the loss of a child in the original Christmas story. They know that pain, and if you are in this room and you know the struggle of Christmas, that it is a long season because... Loved ones are gone, and especially, or in particular, a loved one who has gone way too early. The city of Bethlehem mourns in the Christmas story right along with you. The Christmas story is painful at moments. It was also the longest nation for a nation who hadn't heard from God and still wouldn't for a few more decades. They ought to have been looking for their king their Savior, but they completely missed him. Matthew 2, verse 1 through 6. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, Herod inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And listen to this. They know. They're not looking, but they know. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. It's the longest season as they look for the Messiah or should have been looking for the Messiah. Anna and Simeon stand out in a nation as those anticipating his return. And even the religious leaders, the scribes, who could point Herod exactly to the prophecy, who should have had a nightly watch on Bethlehem, wondering, tell him where it is that the baby is to be born and have no concern, except... They're troubled because Herod is troubled, and that meant bad things for the nation. Herod was not a good man. And finally, the longest season for a world wallowing in the brokenness of sin and the pain that it produces. But joyously, in the midst of the not-so-silent night, their Savior would cry out, grace was going to be announced, and the Redeemer was in their midst. Matthew 1, verse 21. If I've only depressed you this morning, walk away with this verse. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
If this is the longest season, for whatever reason, I don't know your particular stories, at least for everyone in the room. I actually do know the particular stories of many in the room. And it is wonderful because my God is a redeemer and I know that he will redeem your story. But some of them are painful to hear and I know they are painful to live. If it's the longest season for whatever reason, understand that you fit right in with the Christmas story. We like to sing of Rudolph and Frosty. But O Holy Night directs us to a story of pain that is long and difficult. And so if you fit in with the original Christmas story, I want to tell you right now, it's okay to grieve. It is okay to grieve at Christmas. You are not dishonoring God. We live in a world that is broken by sin, and it will make us grieve many times over, even at Christmas time. So if celebration is difficult for you, know that the first Christmas was difficult for everyone involved. For the rest of you, if celebration is easy for you, if this is your favorite time of year, the most wonderful time of year, observe and look around. As hard as it is to hear, your celebration might be trampling someone else's longest season of loss and pain. Christmas growing up, our family would gather together, and we have a rather f- small family, at least until everybody started having kids. The cousins all had kids, and now it's a little too big to get together sometimes. But I spent it with a very distant uncle. Really, it's a distant cousin, multiple times removed, but we just call him uncle and his partner. And a few years ago, he passed away. And so at Christmas time, my family was gathered around for Christmas dinner. And the table grew quiet as we sat and watched this man who is not legally family at all, but is very much family nonetheless. And at times we sat in silence, and at times we cried, and at times we encouraged him. A family of Christians from very diverse backgrounds and denominations of Christianity that included two pastors, but caring for someone who's suffering loss. Christmas had become a very difficult time for him. Along those lines, speaking of the longest season, if you identify as LGBT and the longest season is not Christmas, but the one you've endured clinging to Christ while feeling like the church wants nothing to do with you, I want to assure you your place is at the manger with the shepherds and the magi. Your place is at the foot of the cross with the rest of us sinners. And your place is here with your church family. We are a mess. We confidently stand on the truth of Scripture and even more confidently and in repentance, we depend on His grace. And we most assuredly invite you to join us where all of those statements collide. Grace, pay attention for those who aren't able to celebrate and seek a chance to redeem. God might use you to embrace someone else's longest season. You may not even know what that longest season is. But God might use you to give a glimmer of hope and encouragement to people just like those in the original Christmas story. To tell them of a God who broke into a broken world to redeem. God might use you 
to share that story today of redemption. So proclaim our king, our king who stepped off the throne to pay the price for sin and to save us. Matthew 1.21, he will save his people. Christmas is not primarily a fun celebration, but it is the coronation of a king. And that is certainly fun at times, but it's a loftier goal than simple fun. It's the commemoration of when the only solution for sin invaded the brokenness of human history. The only message of ultimate hope. And so even if it's difficult hearing the longest seasons in the Christmas story, rejoice. I know that may be difficult after the last half hour, but rejoice. We are called to rejoice and we have reason to rejoice. The Christmas story is a difficult one to read. If it has never been difficult when you've read it before, open your eyes to it. It is a difficult one to read, but it is full of joy at the same time. The longest season for Elizabeth ended in a baby. The longest season for Mary and Joseph ended in Jesus the Messiah. And it wasn't a long season for the shepherds, but they got to wake people up and tell them, he is here, the one you forgot about, but the one who saves. The longest season for the magi, who didn't care about a longer journey. They were happy to have celebrated the king in a nation they didn't belong to because they understood at least a little bit of who that king was. And so join us tomorrow night at 4.30 or 5.30 as we in fun celebrate Jesus and his birth at the Christmas Eve services. Join our youth next week at at New Year's Eve in the chapel at 8.05. What a better way to start the new year in the old year than worship, praising our King. Join us on Sunday, this coming Sunday, to celebrate Grace and forgiveness. That is what we do here at Grace. And we would love to have you join us regularly here in Sunday school classes, in our children's ministry, in our youth program, with our college students, here in the pews every week, talking way too long when the 1030 service is coming up and we have to kick you out because it's starting. But that's a wonderful thing because it's family. Most importantly, though, daily rejoice that Jesus paid the price for sin. Every day, wake up. Whether it's the longest season or the most wonderful season, wake up and rejoice that you are saved and you know a Savior. Christmas can be the longest season or it can be our favorite time of year. And whichever it is for you, celebrate. God with us. Christ, our Savior and our King, was born at Christmas time. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you in joy and we come to you in pain. And Lord, sometimes those moments are wrapped up together. But sometimes in moments of pain, joy seems so far away. And blessedly, quite often in moments of joy, the pain seems as if it couldn't reappear. But you are Lord 
of both seasons. Joyous or difficult, wonderful or dreadful, you are our king. And so we praise your name. Amen.